I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today, I interview Shane and Victoria McDowell from Stockholm, Sweden. Listen as they share how they made their decision to go on the foreign mission field, how they didn't really like each other for five years, and then ended up getting married, how Shane has type 1 diabetes and still went overseas to preach the word. They share about what's been most challenging and rewarding for them in Stockholm, and what it's like to enjoy only six hours of sunlight a day during the winter. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no-regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I hope you're looking forward to the CLIMB Conference this next year. It starts November 30th in Dallas, Texas, 2023, and I hope that you're making plans to go and putting it in your budget. I know some of you are like, oh, it's so far away, it's such a long time from now, and also we live overseas, but... No matter where you live, I really want you to try to make plans to go for this because it's going to be an amazing time. Small church leaders, future missionaries, current missionaries are going to be gathering from all over the world, and it's going to be an awesome gathering. People who are just like you, working in the mission field, working to save souls. We're going to be sharing ideas, helping each other to grow and to go. So please make plans to go to the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference November 30th of 2023. Are you interested in doing campus ministry and then leading your own church? I'm looking for a couple to replace Kevin and Erica Liu on the campus at the University of Arizona. They leave in September of 2023 to go overseas to the Revive EE program. And so if you're interested in becoming a church planter, an evangelist, women's ministry leader, I'd like to ask you to email me and let's talk about our ministry incubator program. I'm looking for someone who wants to start on campus and then in time lead their own church. The unique aspect of this program is that you'll have someone to walk with. I spent four days a week on campus this last fall with Kevin and Erica, Felipe Marias, Ed Mejia, and I walked with them. I walked with the students. I met someone personally, studied with them, and baptized them. If you're looking for hands-on spiritual training or know of someone who is, please email me at rob at robskinner.com. That's rob at robskinner.com. This is a paid position. Also, if you're an adult who'd like to lead a small church in a suburban setting, I'm working to plant churches around the Tucson metropolitan area. So let's say you're thinking about retiring, or maybe you're an empty nester, and you're thinking about moving to the sunny southwest. Why not Tucson? I'm looking for married couples with kids, empty nesters, retirees, who are interested in being on a team or leading a mission team in a suburban setting in Tucson. So email me about that at rob at robskinner.com. Shane and Victoria, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks so much. We're honored to be on it with you. 
I know. You know, it's really, we ran into each other in Orlando at the, at the conference, and I've been trying to get a hold of you guys. I know you guys have been busy and all sorts of stuff. You, you've got a, a baby. But I'm really thankful that you guys came on because I'm so interested in what in the world's happening in Scandinavia. I got a chance to talk to Chris Reed a while back. And, you know, Chris said, hey, you got to talk to Shane and Victoria. And so thank you for making the time. Of course. Yes. And we just want to actually thank you. We want to take the opportunity. Uh, we've listened to your interviews uh, probably past two years now on and off. And they've been an inspiration for us. And I know for myself, there have been a fair few times where I've been out and about in the cold, dark rain and grabbed another person to just share my faith uh, based on that inspiration. Wow. So thanks so much. Well, how'd you guys become Christians? I've actually always had a faith uh, my whole life and I always really wanted to be a Christian. And I grew up in Virginia and was exposed to a lot of different kinds of Christianity and different kinds of churches and believers. Um, and it left me feeling kind of confused really about what was true or um you know, what it what it meant to to live out faith or different pictures of God, how to reconcile those or uh, yeah, what was the most important parts. And um, it made me really want to seek out what what is this really about? what what's true? And that also though made me kind of insecure in my faith and made me feel, um, yeah, like I wasn't really sure. Am I a good Christian? Am I really living this out? How do I know? Uh, so I just tried to be as active in uh, the way that I knew how, uh, whatever way I could. And eventually when I started my freshman year of college, I went to Virginia Tech. I was very convinced. I had this strong feeling like God has sent me here and I need to find out why. Uh, but pretty early on, I was looking in all the wrong places and started to maybe use that as a justification to sin of if God put me here, then this must be okay. Kind of, kind right. of mentality. And it didn't take very long for all of that to have an effect on me. And I remember very clearly around Christmas time, my freshman year thinking, I am not good at being in control of my own life. Like <laughs> I am not a, I am not a good God over my own life. Mm. So in the spring semester, I decided to try to make some changes. And um, one of those was that I felt like I was at least happy when I was doing kind of more Christian things. So I prayed to find a Bible study group. And then two days later in the dining hall, I was getting dinner and I ran into a girl who sat next to me in one of my classes. And she invited me to their Bible study group that night to their Bible talk. And I did not dare say no, because I knew it was an answered prayer. <laughs> so I went and I was just so moved by what I saw and what I heard and what I learned. And I was like, I have to figure this out. And one of the things that struck me was I, I perceived it as everybody was very confident in their faith. Mm. So I was like, how did you, how did you get that? How are you so sure and so my friend offered to, to study the Bible with me so that I could be certain as well. And it just totally opened my eyes. All the puzzle pieces that I'd always wondered about in my faith finally fell into place. It's mm. a very freeing kind of feeling. And so I, I got baptized in April of 2009, my freshman year of college. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and for me, I grew up in our family of churches. So I grew up in the Hampton Roads area, and I'm very grateful for my my upbringing. I'm very grateful to have been a part of a strong family of churches, both in Hampton Roads, but also in that ACR region. And I know there's a lot of people that uh, laid down a lot of um, hard work and a lot of prayer to really uh, allow me to be a part of that great foundation. I was, um, however, I was pseudo baptized when I was 13, is what I like to call it. And um, so I was, I was baptized, but I just, I understood very little. Um, I was immature. And I, I think some people can be baptized at that age. And they do great. And I have friends who, who were and still are doing great. But that was an ongoing nagging doubt in my mind as I as I grew up and as I entered into my university years, which kind of culminated to a few things happening. Um, as I myself started to study the Bible with people and help other people to become Christians, I realized what I was doing, what laying out the scriptures for people, calling people to the scriptures, um, was something that I hadn't experienced myself yet. And I wasn't changing anything. I wasn't, you know, adding any extra spices to what the Bible was saying. <laughs> I, was, I was reading the Bible uh, with people. And so that that really started to raise a red flag for me. Uh, and then there was also a period, um, you know, kind of about that same time in my early 20s where there was still a lot of uh, just worldliness, a desire for the world that was in my heart. And that came out in different ways. And, and so there was a period where I was... Um, quite frankly, being rebuked by people who loved me quite often. <laughs> Coming through that period, I really experienced a genuine repentance for the first time. And that was a feeling of like, oh, this this is what that feels like. Mm -hmm. This is what people have been talking about. Mm -hmm. And that really raised, uh, you know, if there had been red flags, now there were alarms going off. <laughs> okay, I really need to make this right. Uh, so about that, that time there in my early 20s, um, I was baptized and haven't looked back since. Wow. Were you in Hampton Roads then or in college? Where did that happen? Ironically enough, that whole process started in college and it actually ended uh, very early in my time here in Sweden was where I was baptized. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So there was, there was, it, it was a back and forth process over, over about a two year period where I had really been wrestling with that. Okay. Okay. For, for those who wrestle with that and th those who struggle with it, like any advice you'd give to those who are not totally solid about their conversion? Hmm. What I would say is I, I was looking for someone else to tell me what, where I stood with God. Uh, and no, no one can tell you that. No one can really do that. The only thing you can do is look into the scriptures yourself. Uh, but what I will say is you can't, you can't live with a splintered conscience. Mm -hmm. You can't, you just can't do it. You can't live for God. So you have to take the time to really figure that out. Right. Um, but obviously bring in, bring in some wisdom of those who are older and experienced. I, I was lucky enough to have people in my life that had been around for a while um, and knew how to ask the right questions. Um, so definitely take in that wisdom. Um, but you really have to, what I did was I wrestled with the scriptures myself. I wrote a spiritual timeline out for myself mm -hmm. um, and kind of tried to look at it neutrally. How would I study the Bible with me mm -hmm. uh, if I was this person? 
if that makes sense. So that. Well, what, what was the turning point? How did you know? Okay, I, I'm, I, I'm not right with God. I need to get baptized. Like, what, what was the straw that broke that you go, okay, I have to make a decision on this. There was no. Well. When I when I hit that point where I felt like I really had to make a decision, it was actually um, coming back from a uh, there was a retreat or, or a conference that I had gone to. Um, it was it was a sort of school of missions kind of session, and it was talking about obviously converting people, and it was just once again that that same alarm of like, okay, I know this, but I I haven't really experienced that, right? And it wasn't anything extreme; it was just the basic, you know. Um, every church has their different first principles right. hearing that yet again set off the alarm so i i pulled aside um you know the person who was um, my my discipling mentor relationship and i said hey i'm i'm really having doubts about this mm-hmm. um, and so we sat down and talked and that was the um that was the input given me was you really need to figure this out once and for all yeah um, you can't keep going with one foot in one foot out not being sure about where you are with god Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Other people wrestle with that. I think um, Andy Fleming, I believe, is one person I interviewed had mm-hmm. a very similar situation, and so it's not uncommon. How'd you guys meet? Well, we met in campus actually, um, but at that point we were acquaintances because we were part of a campus ministry that, by the time we left, was about eighty. Yeah. And so we went to different universities. She went to the prestigious, wonderful Virginia Tech. I went to the smaller <laughs> school down the road. And uh, so we didn't know each other very well, but we we both actually ended up over here. Um, we were both more or less one-year challengers. And we... It we, was coincidence that we happened to know each other mm. when those positions were filled. Well, I think we were kind of brought over together as part of a, you know, we were became recommended from a recommended campus ministry, I would say, but it wasn't that we were a couple by any means um, when we got here. And we actually did not get along for, what was it, five years? Five years. I mean, we really, at different points, really didn't get along, uh, but we were coworkers and um, and we, we, we like to think of it as, as God was just sandpapering us. <laughs> <laughs> Because we, we were both young and raw, and you know, I, was, I had just become a Christian, you know, and um, so there were a lot, of, uh, a lot of ways that both of us had to grow. So that's how, that's how we met. But then, you know, um, after those years went by, the, the scale started to fall off, and, and then we started, you know, taking little steps towards each other, but then not being sure. And um, so I would say there was a process of about... Um, maybe a year where we were kind of trying to figure out, okay, do we actually really, do we really like each other here? Um, And uh, there's obviously a lot more details to that story, but um, from the time we figured out that we, we really did like each other, we were dating what, like three, three weeks later. Yeah. And then engaged. um, Like five months. Yeah. Five (laughs) months after that. So it wasn't like we didn't know each other. Uh, Right. Okay. So when did, when did you guys get married? August 2018, so four years ago. August 2018, not that long ago. How old are you guys? I'm almost 33. 
and I am 34, right? Yeah, I'm 34 years old. Okay, okay. So you guys, and you've just been married only four years. So you guys, guys got married a little bit later. And then mm-hmm. how did you guys end up in in Sweden? You, you both graduated around the same time, I'm assuming? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we've we lived here now for 10 years. We both moved to 2012. And um, the way we ended up here, we, Shane graduated in December. I graduated in May. But so around that time we had, in the fall, we had um, a meeting with everyone, with all the seniors in our campus ministry, kind of talked about um, our church leaders um, at the time, Forrest and Mandy Vercel, were asking us what we were planning on doing after we graduated. Mm. And I had over the summer uh, decided that I would want to do a one-year challenge after I graduated. So I, and it's a whole story to how I came to that conclusion, but I told that to them. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do something after I graduate. And so afterwards, Mandy um, was like, Hey, actually I've, I've heard about this opportunity in Sweden. And I said, okay, sign me up. That's what I'll do. I'll go to Sweden. So of course I didn't really know anything about it. And so I, I kind of started the process of, of having some interviews and learning about the country and learning about the church situation and maybe how I could serve there. Mm. And um, yeah, that started the process that became what, what the plan was. And so I moved in October of 2012. And so I, it was right after I graduated, essentially. And I had a, a fairly similar mentality. I think we're both that way where we feel like if God calls us, we go. Yeah. Um, so I felt that, okay, here am I, send me. That was very much a mentality that I that I had. Um, there's a lot of other um, things that I have issues with, but that, that's one of the good things. <laughs> um, but e- even in that whole process, um, I had also interviewed and, and kind of said, okay, if, if this works out, you know, we're in. But um, I had graduated at that point, and then I didn't hear back from this end, from from uh, the church here in Sweden, for actually for a couple months. So I, con- I continued working. Um, I had been working at a cafe part-time uh, during my time at university. So I continued working there full-time after I graduated as I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And... Um, hadn't heard back from Sweden. I'm working at this cafe. Okay, God, where do you want, where do you want me to go? What should I do? Well, lo and behold, if not one day, one of my old professors who I had, um, whom I had worked very closely with, um, he he was kind of in some of my more uh, intensive major classes that I was a part of. And he comes up to me and he says, Shane, I have a a job for you. It's, it's a full-time paid internship, it will lead to full-time employment there, you know, they want me to send the people to them. Um, it was at the corporate offices of advanced auto parts, uh, in Roanoke, Virginia. And, uh, and so he said, let me know you have 48 hours. Otherwise I move on to the next person. And so I thought, well, here, here it is. Here's, here's my sign from God. The very same day on my lunch break, I get a voicemail from Forrest Russell. And he tells me, hey, I know you had kind of put Sweden out of your thoughts and, you, you know, you thought they weren't interested anymore, but I just got off the line with them last night. Uh, they're very interested. They really want to move forward with you. So uh, so let's talk. And that was 
God's total way of giving me, you have 48 hours to decide <laughs> this next fork in your life. Because had I had longer, I would have talked myself out of it. Mm. I would have reasoned my way into finding um, logical excuses to not take the step of faith. But God helped me by by crunching that time into, <laughs> into a two-day period. So here, here am I. Here we are. Yeah. Okay, so you you got offered a position in in the corporate world with a with a strong company corporation and and also going on a is it a was it a one year challenge is that the offer that they gave you more more or less for me for Vicky it was a one year challenge for me it was a bit more of a of a proper employment because i have i actually have type 1 diabetes so i was very clear that i need i need healthcare um so, so they put together a, a proper employment package for me, but it was kind of on a one-year sort of trial basis. Trial basis, because they they didn't know who I was. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was essentially what happened. Okay, type one diabetes. Can you explain what that is? Type one diabetes. That's um, diabetes that is genetic, where your pancreas doesn't produce. I don't know how technical you want me to get. Um, <laughs> essentially, I have to regulate. Uh, my own insulin levels manually because my body doesn't produce it, which regulates your blood sugar levels. And so I've had that since I was two and a half years old. Uh, wow. So I actually don't, I don't know life without it, which in some ways is a blessing. Other ways, you know, it has its detriments as well. Mm. Oh my gosh. Okay. So what does that mean on a day-to-day basis? Like what's your, what's your routine? What, how do you maintain your health? Well, there's pre-baby and post-baby, <laughs> um, i.e. there's not as much exercise as there used to be, uh, but that that was uh, definitely a, a part of it was maintaining a lot of exercise and physical activity. Um, I am always thinking about what I eat, so I eat very low carb. Um, I have to regulate that with my insulin levels. I have to make sure that I uh, do my best to sleep well. Um, there's always just a bit of forward thinking and, and forethought to how I, to how I go about my day, what I eat, where I'm going to be, where I'm going to be meeting people. Um, but it's, it's helped me very much actually, since I was pretty young to force, I was forced to learn discipline. So in that way, it has been, um, a blessing. Wow. Okay. So you, you're giving yourself shots. Yeah, I take uh, injections. I take insulin injections after after every meal. I, I probably take about seven or eight injections a day. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay, so like manually or do you have like a pump? Do you like help me out here a little bit? Like what, what, what does it look like? So, yeah, I take them manually. I used to have an insulin pump, but now I'm back to manual injections. Um when I wake up, I usually take uh, two different types of insulin right when I wake up, um, and I I skip breakfast. So I, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of intermittent fasting. So I I don't usually eat until about twelve thirty one in the afternoon because that just kind of helps to give me a steady baseline. Um, and I actually prefer that. That's not really uh, a sacrifice of any of any sort. And then um, injections throughout the day after I eat lunch and dinner and every now and then just to regulate if things are a bit off. And if I get a low blood sugar, I'll usually kind of feel that in my 
um, just, yeah, there's different symptoms where you can actually feel that. Uh, so then I'll have to maybe eat a bit of small piece of chocolate or something like that. So it's just a constant maintenance where you get to a, a decent level of understanding where you can just maintain. Wow. Uh, but I've certainly had my challenges, especially in my teenage years. Those were, those were quite challenging at different points, oh, but now it's, it's quite manageable and, and there's a great healthcare system over here. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Nationalized medical care, I'm assuming. Okay. How, yeah. how has that affected you, Victoria? Um, yeah, it has, uh, it kind of changes some of the practicals of mostly how I eat also, or how I think about, um, she maybe... loves pasta. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat low carb. Um, <laughs> so it, I think it, it, you know, it, it affected kind of maybe how I thought about food or how we think about family and food and how we think about our times together and, um, it, but otherwise it doesn't, uh, necessarily, and maybe long-term like Shane is actually, he's really great about taking care of his health. He's so great about it. If he weren't, I would have to consider the long-term effects of, you know, maybe a shorter lifespan for him or all the other symptoms like blindness or things that can really impact your body, right. uh, for the long-term effects of diabetes. But luckily Shane takes great care of himself. So it's kind of mostly, um, we have a system of, of we eat our dinners together as a family, and those are more adapted to what would be best for him. And then we kind of, uh, do our own meals and yeah, there's still a lot and of freedom and flexibility. And yeah. I see. So on lunchtime and breakfast, you do your own thing. And then on dinner, you make something more catered to, yeah. to Shane. Okay. Yep. So when you guys were dating and getting engaged, this must've been a subject of conversation. I mean, di from what I understand, diabetes, like you mentioned, it does has, has the capacity to shorten your lifestyle or your life, life, lifespan. Yeah. Yeah. It came up in our engagement, um, our pre-marriage counseling for sure, but it wasn't a, I don't remember it being a big topic of conversation. That was, um, I think because, because I, Shane manages it so well and he's very knowledgeable and so educated and very on top of it. Um, I think that it made me feel secure in a future together. Um, it's not like something that was like an immediate kind of death sentence or anything. Cause he takes right. great care of himself right. and we are very blessed to have access to great medical care for it as well. Wow. Um, it would only be, we talked about it in the premarital counseling and in the effect of like how it might affect our future children, for example, if they mm -hmm. could inherit it, but it, it was nothing that seemed to be like a red flag. Um, and yeah, like I said, Shane is just manages it very well and is very knowledgeable. Okay. So you have a daughter named Alma and how old is Alma? 14 months. And she, she doesn't have, uh, diabetes. No, no. It tends to skip a generation when it comes to the type one genetic variant. So it would more be her kids that would have to look out. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, I'll definitely be praying for you. It just, it, it blows me away that you're willing to go on the mission team with a disability like that. That's a very serious disability. That's, that's pretty gutsy. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I should say too much, but it's, it's, yeah. The healthcare here is very, very good. I'll just put it that way. Okay. I'm I'm grateful grateful that God brought me here. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) Well, what, what, what even, it's interesting. You guys both ended up in Sweden. What got you interested in missions? Like what, what, all, didn't like each other you didn't know each other too well but all of all of a sudden you guys are like hey we both want to go into missions and you end up in the same yeah. spot what can you talk about that a little bit well on that side of it it was very it was kind of independent of one another mm. um it felt secure like oh great there's someone who's familiar with my home culture and uh you know we have the same friends we know the same people that'll feel like a you know a, a secure point but otherwise, I think my interest in missions, honestly, it was uh, no great dream or ambition of mine. It was uh, a calling, it felt like. And uh, sort of how Shane was talking about earlier, a here am I, send me sort of mentality. I um, I had I had spent time in different countries and uh, had kind of an idea of it would be wonderful to live in another place. And I kept noticing maybe uh, different moments, both large and small, that I felt like God was asking me to step up more in my heart for the mission. And I wanted to take small steps in that. And eventually I got to a point where I was like, I have been resisting God. I just have to repent. And so let me just say yes. And I felt like I finally had, God had built my faith to get to that point where I, I could really say yes to how I, I felt nudged to kind of step up more. Uh, more specifically, one of those moments was I spent a summer in Ukraine before between my um, junior and senior year of college. And it gave me a different perspective of missions and ministry. And it really was like, oh, maybe this is something I could do and and kind of had a more idea of, of what it would look like if I weren't also a student at the same time and uh, just a very different experience on it practically. And it it really gave me more inspiration and faith of like, okay, this is a step I could really take and I can't say no to God anymore. So my original intention was to just do a one-year challenge and then anywhere, (laughs) anywhere, and then uh, pursue my master's. And so my one-year challenge has turned into a 10-year challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. As I often joke, but the, I think at the root of it, I, I, in the idea of foreign missions, I think for me now, like living here for 10 years, it it isn't foreign missions for me anymore. It is, Mm. it's my whole life. It's my home. This is my local mission field now for me is, is Stockholm and is, is Sweden. And I think the, at the root of it, I I really believe in what God wants to do. I, I believe in that. And I, think that it helps me then if it's foreign or local, it has changed my heart. Doing doing the mission has changed my heart for the mission, uh, truly. And my my interest and my dreams for it have deepened uh, the more that I, I practice it. Um, but that was maybe the original push to come here was just repentance and to, to no longer resist those nudges that I, I felt like God was building up my faith for. Okay, so you take off for a one-year challenge. You don't come back, okay? Your parents must have been freaking out there along along the line, like, wait a second, what happened to the one-year part? Why did you stay so long? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think I, I, when I grew up, I moved around a lot. So I was used to this change and temporary here, temporary there. And I think Sweden was the first place that when I, I considered the dreams that I had for it or ideas that I started to have or things that would be amazing to see happen, I realized for the first time, it wasn't just a short term, oh, this semester, I would like to see this happen. Or like, oh, if that person could grow during the summer, longer than just three months, the, the ideas that I started to have would require more long term. And I think also, so I felt like I, I need to stay and see it out. And um, another factor for it was that I worked a lot with the teens when I first came. And honestly, it just took a year to build trust with them. <laughs> so <laughs> I also felt like now I finally have something to build on. Like, why, why would I leave? Right. So that uh, was also a motivating factor was to actually build on what it took a year to, to lay a groundwork for. Wow. Okay. How about you, Shane? Why did you end up staying so long? Yeah. Um, well, I think it, it was similar for me staying so long um, in the sense of that there are, there's only so much you can do in a year. And, and I don't want to dissuade anyone from a one-year challenge by, by any means, but um, we're in the business of relationships. We, we have a relationship with God and we have relationships with other people and we try and help other people to understand their relationship with God and relationships are, are long-term. So that was definitely one factor. And it was also as well, even the same idea that kind of got me over here in the first place, which was um, quite a pragmatic, um, quite a pragmatic thing at the end of the day. But uh, as I had been floating around as a, um, you know, coming into being a campus student and, pretty much being a kingdom kid on cruise control that really wasn't sure where he was with God. So you can imagine how, um, how effective and on fire I was, which wasn't at all. <laughs> and Ed Anton, he probably doesn't even remember having this conversation with me, but he, he pulled me aside after church when I was home on, on summer break and kind of asked what my plans were. And it was something not, not inspiring. And <laughs> said, you know, Shane, you should really strive for for the greater gifts um, that Paul talks about in in First Corinthians. You should strive for those because God has invested too much in you for you to just sit on what's been given to you wow. and to not give it to others. And it was like a thirty second drive by yeah. discipling time, but that really sat with me because yeah. it, it struck me for He is right, and that kind of set me on a trajectory to really to strive for that to use what God has given to me in order to pay it forward mm. and not to just rest on, on, on comfortability. And that's also what's kind of kept me over here during the hard times of, of just really knowing, okay, I'm going to keep striving. I'm going to keep going for it until God says no. Yeah. And if God says no, and we've actually talked about this. If God says no, we're, we're content. I mean, we're, we're happy to follow where God leads us but um, until he does that we're not going to stop mm. so that awesome. with that you know with all that being said yeah life may happen i mean who, who are we to really decide our future at the end of the day but right. and i think this sense of calling also is is similar of it really is this is the context that god has asked me to serve him in and i'll do that until he says stop and then i'll just serve him 
or whatever the next context is. So part of it is, that's also part of why I've stayed is, I don't know, God has put me here and he hasn't told me to go. Right, <laughs> right. I remember when we were in Japan and we were, we were there the second summer that we were there. And I remember looking around, we were in Shibuya, this huge, huge area that, you know, tons and tons of thousands of people walking all around and just kind of going, well, this feels so weird that we're here for a second summer. I just, I went there thinking we were going to be gone after, you know, within a year or something. And it was very strange to just start to accumulate years in the same place. And then before I knew it, 10 years had passed by, it just goes by, starts to accelerate, doesn't it? It just goes by really fast, especially after that first year. Well, can you give a little background for those who are listening around the world about the history of the church in Stockholm? Who planted it? When was it planted? The church was originally planted in, I believe, 1986. And that was a small team um, of people that were sent over from Boston, uh, including Andy Fleming was on that team, uh, Chris Reed, who uh, both of whom you've mentioned and a, and a few other people um mostly um some finnish sisters uh, came on that team because a lot of finns actually speak swedish as well uh in that that church in stockholm um grew uh to different points throughout the the uh the 90s i think up to the largest was um i think they were at 185 maybe um, wow and and that was plant that church planted Copenhagen, um, Oslo was planted, uh, as well as Helsinki, and then eventually Reykjavik, which is a city in, uh, in Iceland, and then um, and then a few other smaller plantings have been sent out throughout the years as well. Um, Vatican in Norway um, has been sent out, and and there's been there's been growth, and then um, um, and then you know people sadly leaving the fellowship throughout the throughout the different years uh in all of those different churches particularly here in stockholm when we arrived the church was at about 120 um in what would have that been 2012 2012 yes and now it's back up to about 180 uh, at the moment which is um which is very encouraging and full disclosure, we we weren't leading the church during that time. We were we were interns, teen and campus interns throughout most of that time. It's only the past couple of years that we've stepped into the role of of leading the church. So Stockholm is at about 180, and the Nordic region as a whole is just around 350 disciples at the moment. Which would be Iceland, Norway, Denmark, Finland, and Sweden. Yeah. Okay. Iceland, one more time. Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark. Yeah. And Iceland right now has a small, a small group of four disciples. Um, It's four disciples, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're looking to figure out uh, replanting um, actually the capital city um, of Reykjavik in Iceland. So for all of those who have a who have a heart for Scandinavian missions and uh, there's a few places we could send you. Yeah, there's a few places. So. That's exciting. Okay, so there's four disciples there in in Reykjavik. How do you pronounce mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Okay. Reykjavik. A lot of famous CrossFit athletes from from Iceland. 
So maybe that's a selling point there. <laughs> Do you ever watch lot, the? Of, <laughs> you ever watch the? Cron- What's that? There's a lot, of, lot of large people there. <laughs> okay, all right. So that's interesting. And then, so you guys started leading. How did you guys take over the leadership? Like, what? How did you step into that? That's a big step. Kim and Chris Reed were leading the church here. Uh, they, you know, they planted it and they helped. Then they, in the eighties and they planted Copenhagen and then they had, uh, some time back in America and then they moved back to Sweden in 2009, uh, to lead the church. And then they, um, had been looking to eventually down the road, move back to America, uh, to be closer to family and some, uh, yeah, some different situations that were on their heart with their family to, to help care for them. And they eventually got offered a position. I know you've talked with them. They were they now live in Salt Lake City. And so they in great faith had, had decided to move back to America and we uh were offered and talked about should we step into their role? And so we said yes to that. And so that was so it's is it two years or is it a year and a half? I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> it it was during COVID, so who knows? And then, and then we had a baby right after, so yeah. it was. Um, it's been a lot of transitions. <laughs> wow. But that was another situation where God had just made so many things um, quite clear. Yeah. Um, of opened and closed doors. So, as daunting as the task is, there was also a security there where we felt like this is a clear calling and this is a clear next step right now. So we we stepped into that role. Yeah. Um, which has been exciting and and scary and fulfilling and uh, in the midst of having a, a brand new one year old. Wow. At this okay. Moment. So that that is really exciting. Okay. Let let me just back it up a little bit. So you you got there in 2012. How long did it take you to learn the language? Where when I say learn it, like you feel comfortable speaking it. You you're able to study the Bible with people. You understand what the sermons are saying. And you feel pretty comfortable. You, you understand what's happening in the nightly news broadcasts, that kind of proficiency. That's a good description. Yeah. I think for me, it was maybe after a little more than a year, I felt like I don't have to switch to English. Uh, and my Swedish has gotten a lot better since then, I bet. Uh, for sure. But maybe a little more than a year. She was about a year. I was... Vicky had already picked up a few languages at that point. She's, um, she won't say it herself, but she's very gifted with languages. This was the first time I had really tried. So it took me a little bit longer, I would say about two years. Um, and it wasn't until some of the teens commented to me, Vicky, Victoria does everything in, in Swedish. Why don't you? <laughs> that, that, got, that actually got my competitive fires burning. I was like, all right, time to set the bubble down here. Okay. I want to just take a little bit of a side side trip here because this is a big, whenever people ask me about my experience in Japan, they always say, how long did it take you to learn Japanese? And it seems like it took me forever. But what? give five tips for a person who's going overseas to learn the language most quickly? I have a couple off the top of my head and you can maybe fill in. Um, Might not be five, but we'll do our best. Okay. Give yeah. the, the biggest thing for me was that I, I had to get over looking stupid. Right. Oh, for sure. 
Mm -hmm. So you have to get over looking stupid. People are going to laugh at you and they're not laughing out of anything sinful. When you realize after the fact, the mistake you made, you would (laughs) do. So you have to get over that. Um, I would say once you get to a certain point, there's, there's a lot of resources. There's podcasts out there where you can really just listen to people speaking and really fully immerse yourself and take it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those were a couple things that, that really helped me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you would. Yeah, I think, I think definitely that of, of immersion and um, not, yeah, being willing to look stupid. And I think just um, you have to, you have to, be motivated. Yeah. Mm. You have to remind yourself, why am I putting myself through this? It's exhausting. It's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's slow. Um, you know, you, you feel like a toddler, like you want to do more than what you're actually capable of. There's like a discrepancy there. And so I think you have to really be motivated. Uh, right. And that can be a, a lot of different, maybe individual reasons. Right. I think there's, there's a spiritual motivation as well that Paul really did everything he could to be all things to all people. So I think there is actually a spiritual component that you really should, you you really should respect the people that you're coming to and learn their language as best you can. Yeah. Now it's Swedish is not as hard as Japanese. So (laughs) it's maybe easy for us to say. I think I felt, yeah, the, the, the spiritual aspect of it, I felt like I wanted to really be humble of I'm coming here to serve you and to expect you to cater to me or that I'm going to set limits on how far I'm willing to go, Uh, especially with language. I think originally I was only going to be here for a year. So my goal was more to be able to understand rather than to speak so that someone could speak to me fully and be able to express themselves fully, especially at the time we were working with teens. And it's hard as a teen to even know what you think to begin with, let right. alone say it in right. not your native language. So I really just wanted people to be able to be themselves. And and my goal was to have the comprehension so that people would feel comfortable, like, okay, she'll understand me if I say this the way I really think it. Right. Um, but it, the speaking developed from that as well. Right. Now, we, we talked about this in the pre-interview, and you were a Spanish major at Virginia Tech, which... With the name Virginia Tech, that's a little bit of a funny place to learn Spanish, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I, um, that was part of why I felt like God had sent me to Virginia Tech was because I'm not an engineer or an architect or interested in agriculture, which is, or vet school, which is main reasons you might go to Virginia Tech. I, it was the only school I got accepted to, and I, my interests <laughs> were completely elsewhere. Um, and I felt like it's this or don't go to college. And and it's very, I regret feeling that way because Virginia Tech is an amazing school. And I, I had a lot of arrogance and, and own plans and ideas for my own life. But I chose Spanish because it was, it was something that I was very interested in and I was planning on transferring. But I, I became a Christian and wanted to stay to build my faith. Wow. Uh, so I, I had a Spanish major at an engineering school which it actually helped a lot because it meant that I had a lot of control over my, my free time or right. uh, over my schedule. It gave me a lot of free time in it and that I ended up using it to study the Bible with people, which also what there was some of those things that I was referring to of God nudging me more 
into missions. Um, So, yeah, I I would meet people and they would just ask, what kind of engineering do you study? Right. I'm not an engineer. I I study (laughs) Spanish. Like, what are you going to do with that? I was like, well, I'm actually moving to Sweden. Do they speak Spanish there? I was like, no, they they don't. Do you speak their language? It's like, no, I don't. So it became an easy way because people are like, why on earth are you moving there? So I, exactly. easy way to share my faith with people. Exactly. Now, Shane, what, what was your major at Virginia Tech? I didn't go to Virginia Tech. Oh, so oh I'm sorry. You went to Bradford? Is that right? Radford University. Bradford. So, so Vicky's being modest. She was waitlisted at William & Mary in UVA, correct? Yeah. Yeah, which are very prestigious institutions. Her safety school, Virginia Tech, was, was the school that I couldn't get into. Uh, if I tried. Um, that was her backup. Radford University was where I went. And um, I actually have a very, uh, like a niche degree in what's called business and technical writing, which is kind of a linguistic sort of communication sort of degree. Got it. Um, so people will often work with uh and sort of engineering branches in order to take care of the communication aspect of of the engineering fields. Okay. I want to go back to the language issue because that there's, it's funny. I, I wish I could go back into a time machine sometimes and go back to when we first arrived in Japan in 1993, because I thought a lot about it. I mean, I really put a lot into learning language. We went to, we went to Japanese school. Um, but, I think about. I think okay. You're absolutely right. First of all, get dealing with your pride, the pride issue of mm. not wanting to look foolish. That's huge. You have to be able to accept the fact that you're going to look stupid. That's that's huge. I wish that I had. You know, going back, I would do things differently. Basically, I would turn on the TV full time, mm. turn on the radio full time, and just listen to it. Even though I wasn't actually listening to, it, just to get comfortable with the the pacing and the style of, of the language that would have definitely helped a lot. And then I think also focusing a lot more on the oral language rather than the written. I was really focused a lot on learning how to write because it really bugged me that I couldn't read. Mm, and so yeah. I focused a lot on the writing, but the writing is, you know, you're trying to connect with people. It's all about, like you said, it's all about the relationships. Writing is something you can learn as secondarily. So I, I definitely would wish you know, I feel like it could have way accelerated my learning had I had, had I done that better. But anyway, I think that's awesome that you guys did learn so quickly as you did. What's been most challenging about Stockholm? What's been most challenging? Um, the winter darkness. <laughs> <laughs> um, although that that was a bit of a shock, but um, just kidding. You get used to that. I well, think it is a very secular culture here um in sweden in general but definitely uh stockholm being a big city and it's it's secular in the sense of um for for most of the time that uh we've been here it's actually um been uh, there's been a bit of an edge even towards christianity so it hasn't always been neutral uh in its secularity but really um Maybe anti-Christian is too strong, but but there's definitely been a uh, there's been an edge uh, mm. towards you if you have uh, a Christian faith. So, for example, they they teach religion in high schools here. 
as much a, earlier. Uh, well, yeah, actually, yeah, they start much, much earlier. Yeah, so so the school systems will will teach religion as a subject, um, and it's kind of up to the teacher's discrepancy how they choose to teach it. But they'll often teach students that this is why those people in different places believe this, but we know this isn't true. Um, and so often our teens who are becoming Christians or, or you know figuring out their faith, uh, it it's not been a rare occasion where they've actually held a presentation in their class in their religion class. Well, this is why I actually am a Christian um, or they'll, they'll, they'll spark up a debate where they're kind of talking at different sides of the room. And it's one Christian versus the rest of the classroom where they're having to defend their faith. So that was a bit of a shock in it. In, but it's been challenging in the sense of, you know, I like a, a good challenge. Um, I like to to grow in certain ways. So um, in that sense, you know, we, it's been fun. We, we study the Bible differently with people here. We, uh, we do Bible talks differently. We actually don't call them Bible talks because even that phrase might scare a lot of people away. Uh, we, we preach in a certain way where we we're really trying to reach people who don't have a faith. Um, so it's been a challenge, but it's also been it's also been fun and, and refreshing in some ways, I would say. Yeah. And and we're we're just really proud of the disciples here who have really had to fight for their faith, uh, and, and quite frankly, in ways that that one doesn't have to uh, in America, at least not up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so people have really done a great job here, the disciples. Yeah. And to that point, when I when I first moved here, one of, I remember one of the first conversations I had with somebody on campus. I mentioned like, oh, I've just moved here. I just graduated. I'm from America. Yeah, I'm here with my church. I'm a Christian. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, it's because your education in America is so poor that you're a Christian. If you had better education like we do, you wouldn't believe in God either. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. What? (laughs) So. Not and, not everyone is like no, that. Right, and, right. and even the culture has changed that. But I was like, oh, no one's ever said that to me before. But the culture, I think the culture has changed also yeah. since then. People have become more spiritual, uh, which is, you know, a new challenge of uh, people have, by and large, mostly I find maybe rejected religion. Um, and before that meant that they would be atheist. But people are more open to believing in something spiritual, but still not into religion, so so to speak. Um, so learning how to relate to people and, and take them where they're at. I think for me, a challenge has just kind of been that whole concept of being all things to all people. Uh, when I moved, I decided that I would take Paul's perspective to heart and become a Swede to win the Swedes. And um, I decided, you know, if there's something that I, you know, would have to choose between the way that I would do it in America versus the way a Swede would do it. As long as it doesn't conflict with Jesus, I'll do it the Swedish way. And to, to really kind of give yourself wholeheartedly to a different world can feel challenging and, um, and it letting yourself change and adapt and, and learn all these new things. And I think even just the the challenge of, wow, what does this mean for my own faith? The questions that people are bringing up or perspectives that I've heard, like it's always a challenge to really be thinking about what do I believe and, and what does the Bible say and, and how do I, you know, relate to this question and, and um, 
yeah, you kind of get challenged a, a little bit more frequently. Uh, and like Shane said, most of the time it, it's like a, like a, ooh, challenge, kind of exciting sort of challenge, but there have been the difficult kinds sure. of challenges as well yeah. that, that come with that. What does that mean to you? What does that look like when you say all things to all people? Like what, what's changed? It's everything from I recycle now. To, <laughs> uh, it could be something as small as that to, you know, uh, listening, being aware of like, you know, I, I, I listen to what Swedes listen to and, you know, I, I can understand the way they think about issues and, and, and talk about that and, you know, how I dress or how I talk or where I go or, you know, I, I never wear flip-flops or, you know, just things like that. Uh, small details and large details. Um, I can, I can give an example as well. Like when we, when we share our faith with people out yeah, on campus and have a Bible talk, for example, we'll, we'll usually stop people and, and invite them to a spiritual discussion that we're having about life topics and faith topics. And we'll, we'll be very clear that we're, we're Christians that started this group, uh, but we're we're really open and wanting to have a, a good exchange. Uh, we look at the Bible. Um, we also really want to hear other people's opinions. We we look at other, you know, different viewpoints on the topic. Um, and and so for that for us, that's inviting someone to a Bible talk mm -hmm. um, to really explain what you're doing so that you're you're reaching people where they're at because a Bible talk just sounds foreign. Uh, and even the way we we do a Bible talk is is different in order to, it's a little more Paul in Athens versus Peter in Acts 2. Right. Um, just to be able to meet people where they're at. But I, we had to learn. We had to, we had to learn and we had to read and, and um, really be immersed in the, in the culture in order to, to meet people where they were at. Let's talk a little bit about the darkness. It's we're recording this on December 13th. We're about a week away from the winter solstice, shortest mm -hmm. day of the year. What time is it getting light there and what time is it sunset? I just looked it up today. Sunrise was 8.35 in the morning and sunset was 2.48. Oh my gosh. 8.30 to 3 p.m. That's crazy. <laughs> Nine to three, yeah, it's kind of probably at the around nine to three is a good estimate. But in the summer, it's the opposite, um, where it's kind of it's you know light for six hours in the winter, but in the summer it's dark for six hours. So, if even sometimes, yeah, yeah, Are and there... that's just kind of over the horizon, so you still have the whatever the that's called, the yeah. Haze, yeah. Okay, dawn, so dawn. that would be that would be a real challenge. I mean, in the winter time. Um, how do you keep your faith growing? How do you keep yourself pumped up in a secular environment and in the darkness? Well, for the darkness, uh, I take vitamin D <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you watch your mental health. Uh, you really take care of that. That's a big issue here. I've learned way more speaking of all things to all people. I've learned way more about mental health and from what I've understood in America, it's talked a lot talked about a lot more than maybe when I lived there, but it's something I've really had to learn how to minister to and understand and relate and connect into a faith way. And uh, yeah, so I take care of my mental health and I take vitamin D 
And I think to keep my faith up, I, I did struggle with depression for a little while. And that specifically, I ha- I had a little plan for myself of spiritually, what are the things that I'm going to do today? I just had a very short list of if nothing else today, I will read something, I will pray, I will find one person I can be giving to just just to kind of keep myself baseline in my faith. Um, I think I, I try to really go to the scriptures mm. uh, with a lot of the questions that come up or issues or things that might challenge. I try to, to learn and I try to understand. I try to go to the scriptures um, and I try to stay connected with people. I've had different periods of time where I'm more connected with uh, Christians like or I feel more isolated or I'm more connected with people outside of Stockholm or I feel more isolated. And I, I notice a big difference in my faith with that, which is a very basic principle, uh, but never, but not the less true for its simplicity. Um, sticking to the basics, I think, and, and really um, the things that make faith grow quite simply are always work uh, mm. in, yeah. in that sense. Um, yeah. And I would, the only thing I would add, to that, I mean, I definitely agree. I'm just sticking to the scriptures and, and the simple Bible reading and prayer. I know there's a lot of um, different, um, there's all kinds of sort of podcasts you can listen to, which are great. I mean, I'm, I subscribe to like five or six myself, but just to just never get away from the scriptures right. and just reading large chunks of scripture. I mean, there's something supernatural that happens when you interact with the Bible and, and you're in good prayer. And to just keep the main thing, the main thing, to be out there uh, meeting new people. That helps me a lot. Just keep, just to keep my inspiration up, to keep my faith up, even if it goes terrible that day. I mean, to go out rejoicing and to come back rejoicing because you're out there doing the will of God and we can't control the, the result. Um, so that, that helps me just to keep myself out there doing what I know I'm, I'm called to do. And I know what I ultimately like to do. Um, it just sometimes takes grabbing yourself by the collar every now and then and, and, and pulling yourself out there. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's super practical. Staying spiritual, reading your Bible, setting up a basic action plan so that you don't get lost in your thoughts and you're actually doing something. Those are really, really helpful. Um, what What are the people like in Sweden? Like, can you tip, can you give us a, 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 a profile of the average Swedish person? I mean, how does that affect people with the, all that darkness? Are they depressed? Are they uh, solemn people? What, give me a well, snapshot. Well, I think well, we well, mostly Stockholm. Yeah, I, I would want to say we live in Stockholm, but most of Sweden is actually countryside. So we can only speak to Stockholm. So we, I would, there's a random Swede out there listening. I wouldn't want to offend them. But, um, <laughs> people here are definitely more reserved, I would say. So when you're when you're preaching here, you're not going to get the the amen. There's no there's no preach it, bros, in the audience. It does it doesn't really happen. Um, <laughs> you find you find other ways to pick up on. Okay, are, are people with me or not? Um, but um, yeah, people are more reserved for sure. And there's not going to be a ton of small talk and, you know, talking to strangers on the street. That doesn't really happen. But if you become friends with someone, that person is your friend 
for life and they will really be there for you. Yeah. So there's not this false veneer that can maybe happen in other places, um, which is, um, which I ultimately appreciate, you know, where you have people. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, when the winter rolls around, um, people definitely tend to keep to themselves and there's, there, people are more, definitely more reserved than, and, um, uh, but there, people here love the, they love taking care of the environment. Um, they are, are really proud of the social, social welfare system that's in place that really genuinely helps people. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, a lot of really good things about, about Swedes and, mm. um, and that's not even talking about the church here, the church here, right. we could brag about people for hours. Right. Um, right. And I think I would just add that, that Swedes tend to be very generous and philanthropic. Um, they are, I would say they're, they're accepting, uh, like they are very like, okay, people can just think what they want. People can do what they want. Um, people also are quite independent, I would say. Uh, but also the way that the society is set up, it's true. Like if you're, if you're connected to somebody, you're, you're with them, uh, for the rest of your life. And they are very devoted to that. And, um, yeah, but I, I would say a lot of people struggle with mental health. And uh, there's pros and cons to all of these. There's always two sides to every coin, you know. But I think those would be the positive aspects of a lot of those characteristics and qualities. Um, Is there a yeah. higher incidence of alcoholism? Are there particular sins that, that show up in that culture because of the secular influence, the, you know, the darkness? No, the, the alcoholism is, oh no, I was going to make a joke. There's another Nordic country that's known for the alcoholism, but um, no, there's, there's definitely, there's high divorce rates here, very high divorce rates um, and definitely high rates of, um, of different mental health issues um, that are um, quite prevalent. And you can, it's not just statistics um, on a sheet of paper. You, as you talk to people and you get to know people, um, there's, I, I haven't, it's rare that I meet someone out on campus or, or um, you know, even, even teenagers who haven't grown up in the church uh, whose parents are still together. It's, it's incredibly rare. Wow. So um, that's definitely one of the, the big things that, that you notice. Um, so. Okay. Well, when you look back on the past 10 years, what's been the most rewarding for you? I think um, some of it, no, some of it is, is I, we've seen dreams come true, really. I think one of the, the main things we were going to do when we moved here was originally we we're like, okay, we're going to do campus. And, and we came as, you know, 22, 23 year olds. And there was one other person in their twenties in the church at the time. Mm -hmm. And we were there to sort of fill in the gap. The church was kind of, uh, the teens and their parents and, and nobody really quite in between and uh, maybe some, some older singles. And we came to, to fill in that gap. Um, and now in the church, it's, I would say it's over 30 people who are in their twenties. Wow. Uh, and that is the kind of thing that happens over time. I, I wouldn't say like, Oh yeah, that one year where we baptized 50 20 year olds it's one of those fruits of of, of really building relationships long term and 
people coming in and, and finding faith. Um, I'd say, I think it really has been rewarding just that long-term, uh, the, the fruits that only come from long-term kind of faith. And we've seen God do amazing things, uh, short-term miraculous things that felt that one cool moment that was amazing. Uh, but really just the fruit of real life faith over a long time for me personally, that's been very rewarding since, like I said, I had moved a lot. So this is personally a place where people have known me for a long time now. And to see, for example, a, a, someone who is a new, newly baptized teen when we moved here is now himself helping a lot with the teens and is leading our worship. And, and those kinds of fruits of just persevering and having faith in a consistent and daily way over a long period of time to see new people become Christians and then become leaders or to see our mature Christians who have been around for decades, finding lots of new ways to innovate and be devoted in their faith to mm -hmm. Jesus. And uh, you really just kind of those things that you only see over a long period of time mm -hmm. uh, is actually what I found most rewarding. The, the things that make up the rich daily life of a Christian and the church life. And like Shane said, we could brag about the church for hours. Yeah. Uh, and I think to see that has been really rewarding to see, to see the growth and the change. Yeah. And I would add that maybe a, an example of this was even just the other night. Um, I was in a Bible study with a, with a young man in his twenties and there were two, two brothers in the Bible study with me who were also guys in their twenties. And it just kind of struck me that, you know, I had the I had the honor of studying the Bible with both of those guys when they were campus students, and now now they're out of campus. They're they're graduated. They have good jobs. They're married. They're just solid, um, stable, serving. serving people in the church. And and here we are, you know, all studying the Bible with with this guy together. So for me, I know a lot of people get in, love the the big numbers and and everything. And of course, you know, we want to see. Uh, churches planted and all of that um but just seeing the you know disciples who make disciples who make disciples and seeing lives change um i love that and we've been able to as well send out um you know when i say the church is 180 um some of that is stockholm but some of that is actually a city to the south of stockholm about an hour away and then a city to the north of stockholm about an hour away where we've sent um, house church plantings to both those places and, and seen them grow in different ways. So that's been really inspiring as well and seeing people um, kind of get back the, the, the dream and the faith that like, we can, we can do this, God can do this, things can happen. Um, so that's been really, really cool to, to just be a part of um, yeah. and to see ourselves and see our own faith grow. That's awesome. Now, it must have been a little challenging stepping into the shoes of the Reeds. I mean, they're, they've been there forever, been around a long time, and then all of a sudden you guys are taking over. Did you get a lot of support from the church in taking over? Yeah. A ton, a ton of, of support. And we we work closely with, uh, with actually a leadership group, a leadership team. So that's been really, really helpful to have their support and um, and to really in different ways um kind of lead the charge together so that's been really good and we've um yeah i mean we we felt a lot of love and support from the different house church leaders and um and well pretty much everyone uh for that matter so people were definitely definitely happy when they when they heard that we were 
stepping into that role. That's awesome. Um, as much as they, they miss the reads, of course. For people listening who are thinking about going, maybe considering going overseas, doing missionary work, any advice you give them? Like if someone's wavering on the brink, oh, should I maybe? You know, I talk to people quite often, actually, who are, are th- would love to do missionary work, but they're just, they're afraid. Any, any advice you'd give to a person? Yeah, go for it. If you have nothing, if you have nothing holding you back, if there's no, um, I, you know, I know people have very real life things that they need to take care of, and there's familial issues and all that, which I totally get and respect. And um, you know, Paul writes that if you don't take care of your own family, for example, you're worse than the pagans. But if you don't have those things in your life, then go for it. You can always come back, mm-hmm. um, but that experience will be invaluable uh, and you never know what might end up actually happening and where God will take you and where God would lead you. Cause I look back at my life and there's many ways where I can look back and see how God was orchestrating something greater. And had I not been here actually in relative to America, a foreign country, um, things might've actually been uh, a lot more difficult even in America, but God mm. led me here. So you, you just, you never know. So you should go for it mm. if you feel like God is calling you. I totally agree. I think, I think there's always um, maybe more specific advice I would, I would give, like given the, what they might be considering or, or different situations. But I think the principle of it is go. Yeah, definitely do it. Oh. And uh, missions is missions. It's, it's, you know, I, I remember getting the advice when I was interested in, in foreign missions and I'll move somewhere else, uh, really challenging my character of it kind of starts with what I do here and now. Right. And if I'm not really a missionary here and now, what makes me think I would just magically do that <laughs> when my life has been turned upside down somewhere else. Exactly. And sometimes, yeah, being put out of your context can really help you grow, but your conviction and your character's character really goes with you as well. And I think to, um, if you have, have the chance to just do something then like that. And, uh, I think you should. Right. Right. I totally agree with you. And what you said there, Shane, if nothing's holding you back, I mean, you have type type one diabetes that didn't hold you back. And so often there are things that hold us back there. There's so many, it's by default, it's much easier to remain where you're at. Uh, and to to get up and just move always incorporates some tearing away relationship change something like that so uh, i commend you any plan to go back to the states for you guys hopefully our parents aren't listening to this but not uh not no not for the foreseeable future but as i said i mean we know what the book of james says who am i to to determine my own plans, but yeah, as far as we see it, no. Hmm. We're we're more thinking about like where where are the next places in in Sweden that we want to see planted, and the next you know the plans in the Nordics, and um, not that we would necessarily go ourselves, but right. we're, we're thinking more in those. I in love those that. Terms. I love that way of thinking. Any final words or advice you'd give to a person who wants to make this life count? Um, 
What would you say? I would say essentially the same advice that was given to me when I was young to to strive for the greater spiritual gifts, to, to strive to do more for God and to not strive after comfort because God will comfort you. Mm-hmm. But if you make comfort your goal, if you make that um, what you're going for, because I, I think I think that can be the temptation. It's certainly been the temptation for me. And as I as I look around at my generation, that can definitely be something that is um, idolized. God will fix those things. He He totally does. Um, but yeah, just go for it. Take the steps. Take the risks. You don't want to be on your deathbed wondering what would have been. You know. Yeah, that's a good point. I I think I might say um, something that's really helped me is is to to live according to your values and the principles and the practicals are always flexible. They let you follow the spirit. They let you, you know, it's to stay focused on, on, on the why, on the main thing, mm-hmm. the, the values and the principles that drive those things uh, and let everything else be, be flexible and adaptable, uh, I think would open you up to a lot of more opportunities, but also keep you strong in the ways that you need to be strong mm-hmm. uh, and let the things that are negotiable be negotiable and the things that are non-negotiable stay non-negotiable uh and it i think that might be what i would say that's awesome gosh guys i'm i'm inspired i'm inspired by what you guys have done and are doing to see the church strong and healthy there i'm sure i'm i know there's challenges coming out of covid for every church that i've talked to including our own but the fact that you've gone on the mission field with a disability you guys met, you know, started at least courted each other on the mission field, got married, took over an existing church, a long-standing church, and are continuing to plant churches. It's inspiring what you're doing. And, you know, I just want to pray every blessing on on the work you're doing and let you know I'm thinking about you from the desert here in sunny, sunny Arizona. You guys got to come out here and visit and get, get a little, you know, dose of vitamin D sometime. <laughs> It'd be great to have you guys. Let me do this a little different ending. Would you guys mind saying a prayer in Swedish uh, for for our listeners, people listening, and, and just pray a blessing on the people who are listening that uh, you that they will make this life count and live a no regrets life. Yeah, not not at all. Both of us, or, or... yeah. Why don't you each say a short prayer and then um, we'll, we'll close out the the interview. Okay. Tack Gud för möjligheten att kunna träffas och prata om dig, prata om din mission. Vi tackar dig så mycket för möjligheten att kunna helt enkelt inspirera folk så bra som vi kan. Vi ber för alla som lyssnar på den här podden att att du och heliga anden ska hjälpa oss och hjälpa dem. Vi ber att... var och en av oss ska kunna höra exakt vad det är som vi behöver höra för att göra mer för dig. För att vara mer inspirerad för dig. Och för att kunna eh, leva fullt ut för, för dig, för ditt namn, för din mission. Mm. Vi älskar dig och vi ber allt detta i Jesus namn. Amen. Amen. Eh, Gud, himmelska far, tack så mycket för den här tiden på podden. Eh, du har gjort så himla mycket i våra liv. 
att vi kan ha mycket att prata om. Eh, du har gjort mm. mycket, vi ber dig den här tiden har förhärligat dig. Att eh, det kommer fram tydligt, det är, det är ditt namn och mm. ditt arbete och det är du helt enkelt Gud som har gjort allt det här. Tack för Jesus och hans förebild och hans arbete och det som han har åstadkommit. Vi ber att alla som lyssnar vill flytta till Norden. Som vi ber att de ska vara med i våra framtida planteringar och vill vara med i vår kyrkofamilj här borta. Tack för ditt arbete här i Norden och din kärlek för oss Gud. Vi ber att de som lyssnar kan leva ett liv utan att ångra någonting. Mm. Vi ber att de kommer till tro om de behöver det. Eh, och Gud välsigna dem. Eh, vi älskar dig och vi ber det här i Jesus namn. Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you Rob. Thanks so much for Thanks. having us. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd like to ask your help and support through one of the following. First of all, hit the subscribe button. Secondly, post the episode and its link on your favorite social media site. Next, read one of my books, How to Plant and Grow a Church. Also, Courage, How to Make This Life Count. You can find both of those on Amazon.com or through IPI Books. And if you've read one of my books, please leave a review on Amazon. Finally, pray for me, for my wife, and for the church here in Tucson, because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count to live a no-regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day, and make this life count.